Welcome to the Footprint Plus 2023 podcast series. Reuse of steel in practice, brought to you in association with Hain Tillett Steel. This whole sort of event and be part of uh, Footprint 23. I guess my role in this panel really is to give you the contractor's input, the insight into what it means to recover steel, um, probably from a starting, you know, from a very, from the very first step. Um, so I want to talk to you about uh, two particular projects that we've undertaken since uh, March 21 through to now. They're, they're both on the Broadgate estate, so part of the Broadgate campus of British land redevelopment um, Sorry. For, uh, for around Liverpool Street. Uh, uniquely, both those buildings are steel frame buildings that were both, you know, they, they were built in the 1980s. Uh, Arabs were the structure engineers. And we had brilliant records, you know, microfiches that we had records that we could, you know, use to our benefit when it came to pushing the, the, uh, the, the envelope when it came to reuse and uh, reuse of, of, of structural steel. So I think it's important just to understand as a demolition contractor or a deconstruction contractor that, you know, the way we look at jobs historically is we, we, we firstly, we're looking at how to deconstruct and demolish the building safely. We're trying to do it economically and we're trying to do it to a driven program because that's what clients demand generally. That, that's how we, we've become very good over, over the years. Particularly on large scale projects where we have large labor costs, high fuel costs, large waste. We use credit which comes out of steel uh, buildings to, 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 as part of our costing purposes. So the credit is part of uh, a way of reducing the overall cost to the client. So it's considered in the round. Equally, we're really good at processing steel on site. We take steel frames, we deconstruct them in the reverse process, we cut them into five, five foot lumps, and we can handle them with the equipment we've got and we clear it from site with minimum logistics. And we do that, we just, we've been doing it for years. So we, we excel in that environment. I'd say around about 2020, for us as a business, you know, as an industry, um, the circular economy became quite sort of pushed forward and it became a thing for us. Primarily, clients uh, were focused on trying to take non-structural fabric from within the buildings, raised access flooring, ceiling, you know, grids, cladding, all of that sort of good stuff. Um, but nobody looked at the sort of structural elements, the steel frame, the, the elements that, that, you know, because fundamentally there wasn't any market for it. From our perspective, we would enter into a fixed price lump sum, demolish the building, clear it as quickly as we could, and get out as much circular economy as we could. And that's how we went into the Broadgate project. We effectively signed up to a lump sum fixed price, and we were, we were busy taking the building down and clearing it as, as, we, as we do. And as this industry tends to, a chance meeting, business to business with another developer, turned around and asked the question. They, they were looking for a donor site to take structural steel and reuse it in their development. And all of a sudden we had a, a, an innovation, I suppose, a conversation that I remember being part of it and sort of considering how do we do that? You know, is this real? Can you actually, you know, if we're going to take steel out, how are we going to do it? Who wants it? How does it get transferred? And we had all these kind of questions. Uh, fundamentally underpinned by how do you reuse steel from an existing building and put it back in its permanent condition? So that chance conversation 
led to us engaging engineers. So we've dealt with you know, both British Lands engineers at Broadgate and the, the other developer. We did site visits after we stripped out the building. We had all the Arabs information, the micro-pieces. We, we knew what grade steel it was. We knew the dimensioning. We knew the section sizes. All we had to then do is validate what was actually within the building, which is what we did. Um, in order to do this, when you're in a fixed price lump sum contract with one developer, you've got to find a way to find a flexible balance. We had to speak to British Land and both developers and find equity between the two so that if we committed to doing one for one, that we didn't impact the other. So essentially, we, kept, we, we agreed with the developer that we would maximise whatever we could take out of the building within the programme that we had contracted to. And that's, and that's what we did. We didn't know what steel was of use to anyone, um, so we needed the developers engineers to set out an aspirational um, set of um, requirements, I guess. And just, you know, th this, this is like an this is one of the micro pieces that were presented to us. And I don't know if you can see, but there's, there's green swages of area because you've got very, it's a very similar frame. You've got seven and a half meter grids and nine meter grids and very uniform numbers of steel, generally from level five down. So the developers engineer effectively set out to us what they could reuse. And then we had to undertake an, ex you know, an exercise to identify what we could recover within that time. And there was a bit of a trade-off between what you could do within the program. And we set, we set a limit. We set ourselves a target of, of, of it was 140 tonnes, which doesn't sound like a lot. It worked out to be 10% of what was available in the building. And, and that's exactly what we recovered. We traded. We had some areas and some floors where we couldn't get them because you know, steel was locked in by facades or it's difficult to get to, but we offset it by using other areas. Principally, when we looked at it, we had a tower crane and we, we considered that we needed the tower crane to, to dismantle the steel. And so it limited what we could probably reach. We changed our methodology and we developed our kit on site to be able to handle the material and, and bring it to where the crane was and, and take it all down. But that, that was all the process and the thinking that went through what we were doing so that um, we were able to turn around and commit to effectively uh, an aspirational volume of steel that we could do, um, and which effectively we did do. I mean, wh one thing it is worth mentioning, uh, you know, we delivered that project on time without any agreement to save any structural steel, and in post-contract, we opened up this, this conversation, became part of it, and then saved at least 10% of that steel frame and put it back into reuse without losing a day on the program, which for, for all of, you know, as you can probably imagine, uh, and I want to take you through what, what's involved because it's not as simple as just cutting steel and putting it on the back of a lorry. So in order to do that, we needed to set ourselves a, sorry, We needed to set ourselves an acceptability criteria. Now, when you're saving steel, and you, you know, back in, in that time, you know, which was around about August 21, there wasn't anything in the industry that we could turn around to and say, "How do you do it?" You know, we, we worked with we've worked with three sets of engineers now, including, including Tom's team, to develop a 
acceptability criteria. It's like a handbook. It's something that is in line with P470 in terms of the, the reuse and, and protocol to reuse steel. But it's limited in that we as a demolition contractor, in order to maintain program, we need to be able to assess on site when we recover steel that we can visually say that it meets a minimum criteria in, in terms of whether it's weather damaged, whether it's been you know, exposed to all sorts of historical damage over the time, whether it's got holes through it, um, and ultimately, once we finish removing it from the structure, whether it's got any damage that occurred as a result of, of the work. So we came up with this minimum criteria, if you like, which is very much visual. And that's an important aspect of what we do, because we, we, we needed to get to a position that we were able to take the steel down, place it in a large area on the site. We worked with the structural engineers to assess it, effectively reject or accept it. And on that very simple basis, we're able to move steel in large volumes, which is what we need to do. Because when you look at what we need to do as a, as a you know, on-site, cutting and recovering steel on, on this sort of scale requires space. And the only space you, not, you often have in demolition projects are the floors that you're working on and very little space around the outside. These structural members, they're obviously sized for a certain length. They're no good being cut in half because they'll be oversized. So the key for us is to come up with the maximum cut length close to the nodes, which means you end up with nine meter long steels which you have to handle and you have to you know, get them off site. And I think for us, um, coming up with this kind of way to work with the engineers to come up with an acceptability criteria was something that um, needed an understanding from both clients and from ourselves and engineers to, to accept that we'll, we'll, we'll do this first pass review. The steel will then be transported from site. So working with uh, Roy's team, we effectively backloaded steel on Arctics, you know, from lorries that have been transported into London, back to the facilities where Roy's team would basically take them and rework them and do all of the remaining testing which puts the steel back in the, in the condition that can be reused on site. So I think fundamentally, <laughs> if I was to sort of capture this and where we are, we started with nothing. We became part of the conversation. We became part of a solution to come up with a way that demolition contractors can work with the engineers and the clients. We need clients to have an end use for this product because without that, we're just demolition contractors with scrap steel. That's an important factor of what we're doing. And you need, yeah, and, and we ideally, you need to have as many upfront records as you can to give you time to be able to incorporate this steel either into your designs or otherwise you're gonna put it into a restocking facility which then needs to, uh, which you know, be sitting there for future projects to benefit from. I firmly believe that anything is possible to achieve. And it's really about us balancing. Every project is different, every project is unique. Some have great logistics, some don't. Some have all the information that you need, some don't. You always need to have a client and engineer who are bought into the whole process. And I think now, if you look at where we are now compared to where we were 18 months ago, it's very viable. 
so from my perspective, I think that it's, it's definitely something we should pursue, but it's something we need to assess on its own merits because there is a cost versus carbon benefit, which I think is what most people need to sort of appreciate uh, and, and, and try and understand how far we're willing to go to be able to return this reuse steel to industry. So I think that's all I have to say on the matter. Thank you very much. Okay. Right, okay, so we're, we're now going to have a, a period of questions. So um, I see some have already been sent through uh, on the Slido, but if you've got questions as well, you can raise your hand. We'll come around with a mic. Um, there's a couple already in, and both of them are about um, cost and program, uh, as you would imagine, because we've successfully not mentioned that through that, because <laughs> it's the tricky bit. Um, but I wonder where we start with you, Steve. Um, what's your, from a client perspective, what's your feeling on steel reuse and how that affects, firstly, cost, but then also potentially program on, on projects as well? I, th I think it's really interesting, um, Paul saying there that you've managed to extract that steel without uh, increasing the program. Most people, myself included, I think, would, would assume that there's going to be a, a, a prolongation uh, versus a just take it down uh, as, you know, frankly, as quickly as you can, and uh, obviously ticking the health and safety box and those things. Uh, so, you know, that's quite promising, um, but it obviously includes other thinking and resources to to kind of facilitate that because you have to do things differently. So maybe you spend a bit more money, I, I don't know, uh, in terms of like how you had to manage your way through that uh, sort of deconstruction process. Yeah, I mean, I, if, if being straight with you, I, I talked openly about both projects. I didn't really, Two Finsby Avenue was the second project we're just finishing at the moment. Um, yeah, there, there, there is, every project's unique. Those two projects lent themselves to what we did. We had a crane on both projects, so getting steel up and down didn't, wasn't a premium to pay. Um, we're really open, really focused on trying to push this envelope. So for us, it's good for us to be part of this conversation, so we're, we're, we're part of the process. There is always going to be an element that you can do if you've got the logistics around you within program. We took 10% of the steel out of what was one Broadgate and probably only 5% of the steel out of two Finsbury. You know, there's over 2,000 tonnes of steel in, in total on both projects combined that, that you could get to. I mean, it, was like a, it was like a tiered cake, so they only really were useful from level five down. If you wanted to push that boundary, obviously you need to know where it's going. There would be a programme impact to increase beyond those sort of levels but there's a balancing act to be had. So probably my assumption is, is correct, uh, but you kind of struck a balance where you, 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 know, you optimise to hold programme and, and, and get some reuse. I mean, on a wider thing about cost, uh, you know, Roy and I were talking earlier around, should this uh, product, uh, reuse still have a, have a premium uh, attached to it, or should it be a discount? Um, I think the, we're still trying to find our place in the market at the moment. There's, you know, we'll probably touch on there's, there's a lot of ideas and a lot of uh, sort of signals that we, people want to do this, clients want to do it. Um, but you know, how many kind of transactions have actually completed at the moment? Um, uh, I have the view at the moment that if I, if I, based on what I've seen, there's a, there's a slight discount uh, against sort of normal British steel. Um, You've got to make sure you're covering other costs like testing and, and these things if there's, if there's other surveys and things that are involved in the process. Um, 
But like my longer-term vision would be uh, that these things should command a, a higher um, price because they're a premium product. Um, and one of the factors that would, in my mind, help, help reinforce that is the uh, price of carbon going up. Um, because you're saving carbon by, by making this kind of purchase. So uh, in theory, the market should find its balance uh, and the price of carbon will be, will be something that factors into that equation. Yeah, I think from our point of view, we've definitely found that um, it's, it's the deconstruction period that's affecting the program the most. Uh, and, it, that, and it is generally getting longer if you're reusing steel. Um, but it's trying to understand that early on in the process. And most clients will take that hit to extract the steel, but you need to you need to you need to build it into the specification early on in the process so that it doesn't come as a shock um, later on. So, so both, both those situations, both those projects, interesting enough, um, when we agreed to do it, it was after we were in contract. You know, in, a, in an ideal world, we'd be going into these projects knowing what 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 the base position is, and the, equally what that premium is, and that that's kind of how we're. I think clients now are much more aware of that, and, and so you're able to sort of identify the premium, and it's almost like a shopping list of, of, of items that you can choose to take or not take, depending on the carbon benefit. Um, Roy, do you want to touch on those two points? Yeah, cost and program? Well, in terms of cost and program, the point I've made previously, but certainly you've got to look at the project for how sensible it is. So I've visited jobs in London where there's an aspiration to recover steel, where it's really just not practical. If the crane is a perfect example. If you can't get it to the ground and it's on the eighth floor, it comes down in a lift in sort of six feet pieces. That's no good to anybody. So there has to be a genuinely practical understanding. My only other slight concern with a lot of these conversations is we've got to be careful not just to focus on the client that wants the material back. So one of the big challenges actually is for the likes of Paul to be able to get material out of a structure to supply it, like the likes of us, myself or Bill, that's in the audience as suppliers, because one of the ways you avoid an impact on program for reconstruction is to know the material is readily available when you require it. And certainly for smaller scale refurbishment, that's an option. But there's a definite challenge in getting material directed out of the waste stream into reuse when it's not already required by the client. Uh, and the industry is still getting its head around how you take material that belongs to the client and give it back to them. And I might add, some clients are also struggling to get their heads around the fact that the risk is theirs, it's their stuff. Um, and then on cost, we were discussing it earlier actually. I think probably three to six months ago, we, we were looking at steel reuse as being roughly the same cost as, as um, traditional steel. Now we've got traditional steel prices actually dropping. So we were wondering whether that's actually going to change that quantum and whether you will be paying a premium for the, for the reuse steel. There's, it's, it's, there's a two aspects to the cost that are very important. One is that most projects are engaging incredibly early with their aspiration for reuse. So I had a conversation yesterday for a job that's for summer 25. And it's impossible. I can give cost certainty. I've got material in inventory, so I can tell you what I'm going to charge you for it. It's how you feel about that price in 18 months, two years' time, when you have to pay it, or when you have paid it, and prices have moved. And we've come through a very protracted period of steel prices increasing, but it's generally in a 10-year cycle, and they are now starting to come back down. The other factor with cost, which is really important on reuse, is the fabrication cost, because ultimately the steel in your building costs you the steel, the fabrication, and the erection. So you've got to make sure you've taken account of all three of those costs. The erection cost shouldn't change. 
the fabrication cost may, depending on how much you're asking of the fabricator to take account of the second-hand nature of the material, and there may be extra work, and some are at the moment whacking great contingencies in that aren't based on real cost because the market is, is young. And touching on your point earlier, Steve, it is a premium product. It's a low-carbon uh, alternative. And a lot of clients are willing to spend a lot more money on things like green steel, so X-carb products, um, which are you know, not nearly as sustainable, really, uh, as reuse steel. So why shouldn't we be spending slightly more money on, on a low-carbon alternative? And most commercial clients definitely are willing to, to spend that, I think, in the current environment. Great. Um, next question. Um, it's really around kind of the barriers to steel reuse. So I think looking back two years, you know, over the last two years, everyone's looking at steel reuse. And we've, we as a practice have got a lot of projects. I know lots of other engineers uh, and developers have got steel reuse projects. But you're not seeing many actually coming to the fore and being, being um, constructed. Um, why do we think this is? Um, and what are those what are those barriers and how do we think we can break them down? Um, Roy, do you want to start on that one? I think, again, more than one factor, but the first thing I would say that I'm seeing is that the jobs that people are thinking about reuse on are still 12 and 24 months away from actually being built. So most jobs are currently impacted either by the existing demolition contract or by existing specifications and thinking and budget. So it's being slow to feed into the actual projects because I'm learning construction projects take so long to happen. So that's one issue. The other issue ultimately is availability of material. I think the uh, P47, P440 and other documents, I think the technical aspect, which has been discussed two or three years ago, is boxed off. People know now what's required technically for steel to be reused. And I think they have that technical confidence. So it's just getting the actual marketplace to function correctly. So do you, because um, that's actually another question, do you think there is a, is a stock availability issue, you know, with everyone looking at steel reuse? Do you think that down the line we're actually just going to run out of available stock? Well, I mean, I, I, there's a project that we're currently tendering at the moment. I know that there is a, there's a number of permanent steels. It's a strengthening project for a, for a large central London building. There are a design set of steels that are, are required. Um, at, at tender stage, we're being asked whether we can, you know, supplement you know, or essentially use reused steel in those very specific environments. And even though there's a very healthy stock list out there, we, we're not comfortable that you could you could actually, you know, find the availability to match what you need in terms of the fit for the building. And equally, stock match at all? That's what you're oh yeah, stock match. I'm, yeah, should have listened earlier on. But equally, that forward purchasing element, in order to secure that, that material for something that you need in 10 months' time, 12 months' time, it, it's a different kind of procurement route. So you, you just, we, I think we all need to, you know, we, we're talking to that client about how, it could, how we can put a mechanism in place to allow us to take the benefit to, to get the steel so it's recovered ready for us. But it does mean people need to forward purchase. There's just different ways of trying to find a mechanism that works. But they're, they're current barriers. Tom, can I um, can I chip in there? So, I mean, I I think there's we're still very kind of new to this to this space and this idea. And in my 
mind, the future is a more kind of liquid marketplace where um, we perhaps don't need to be planning so far ahead. Um, yeah, there's definitely a challenge in the how do we procure because some of these things that a client might be uh, requesting, uh, steel coming from somewhere that the client says or that's from a different kind of source to, to, the, to the norm, needs to go into the bottom of a supply chain that's well established and sometimes that supply chain isn't established down under a main contractor because you might not have one of those um, at the point where you're having these ideas. So, you know, if you can actually put off that, um, that procurement of reused steel until later um, confidently, then you solve some of the issues and you actually solve some of the things that Roy's saying is frustrated with at the moment, which is loads of people are talking to me, but I'm not seeing any movement on it. It's an idea and then it gets kind of put on hold or, or sat on ice for, for quite a long time as the project goes through its design phases. Well, you know, if you can get more uh, towards kind of normal time of procurement and you just, your stock matcher tool at that point says, right, I've got a more refined design. Maybe I've created some kind of loose fit around the members so that I've got a good chance of, um, of basically finding matches. Then you go and pick from a, a, a wider selection at the time you need it and you just take it, uh, take it from there at that moment in time. And there's less of this trying to look ahead um, which is kind of what we're doing now. Everyone's looking ahead and they're saying there isn't much out there, but actually by the time the buildings that uh, are on site, the ones we're talking about, there probably will be more reused steel available. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I agree with that approach. It does, it does rely on um, buildings being deconstructed in a way that supplies Roy with the steelwork so that when you get further down the line at your stage four and five, that there is steelwork becoming available. The clients um, will be incentivized to do that um, with some of the uh, changes on how you treat um, uh, A A5 um, in the in the modules. So if you if you took this down, it doesn't really register on your development uh, in terms of the deconstruction. But I think you can, with this change that's coming, you will be able to recognise some of that. So there'll be a, a bit more of an incentive for a client to say, let's let's kind of put the effort in to extract this uh, you know, valuable asset out of a, of a deconstruction process. Yeah. And potentially an, kind of an increase in the value of reused steel, touching on the point earlier, will help that because you'll be able to spend more on the demo to extract it because the cost of that scrap reused steel is going to go up because you'll be able to sell it on for a, a higher premium. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, in terms of market cycles, one thing that helps bizarrely is scrap coming down. Because, as Paul has said, they factor the metal costs into their contract prices. So if scrap comes down, which it is doing quite hard at the moment, then there is a bigger margin to pay a premium to have the steel recovered as well, so that all helps. Um, but it's, the other thing just to say as well, it's a question of aspiration. So if somebody decides to put 10 or 15% of reused steel into a building, it becomes less important which 10 or 15 percent it is, but it also becomes easier to keep that promise if that's what's happened in the contractual arrangements early doors. Um, and I don't believe for one minute there's going to be enough reused steel to build everything that needs building out of steel down the way. It might only be 20 or 30 percent of the total demand that's capable of being met. So should the targets be set any higher than that on individual projects? Yeah, there's a few questions on, on a similar vein around about that subject which is, you know, should clients essentially be 
um, extracting as much steel as they can at demo stage without having a, a, a project in mind for it to be used on. Um, and that's probably the next stage, isn't it? Uh, and you know, now with the development of things like circular economy statements um, and everything that we need to go through at planning stage, maybe you'll have a period where, you know, particularly in London, say the city will say, right, you have to extract, you know, we've looked at this building and actually we know that 40% of that steelwork is potential for reuse. And that's, you know, to get planning, to demolish that building, that's how much you have to, um, you have to demolish. You know, it, that, is, that seems to be the direction of travel in the industry, which is quite exciting, really. I, th I think we've we got to look at things and try and see the bigger picture in terms of, you know, finding a balance and, and uh, finding the, the right place to, to say, right, we've achieved value there, uh, we don't need to go further. If it's hard to extract that and in its sort of, you know, full form, and it's, it's going to be costly or inefficient to, to do that, then there's still a need for steel to find its way to art furnaces, as you described at the start, because there's still going to be a, a need and a demand for some uh, electric art furnace uh, steel um, from, from the same market. You know, the building, if, you, if your client wants 10 to 15% reused steel, means there are 80, uh, you know, 85, 90% uh, of probably they'll be saying low carbon steel, which is going to come through the art fences. So it always comes back, in my mind, to a, a balance and finding sort of the most efficient uh, place to pitch something. So if you're looking at demolition, you should try and optimize and take out what's easy and, and then not go too far, uh, and the rest can go uh, to scrap. Um, there's still a value to that. It's just a lower value, but it, you'll get it out quicker. Um, and sort of the same on the other side in terms of how much should you use reused well again find find a balance and optimize for that yeah. but that could be set out in a material audit couldn't it or a circular economy statement you know at that planning stage yeah, yeah. but it won't be the same answer for every project yeah or different consultants will give you slightly different answers <laughs> so, so certainly the projects that we're involved with um, our clients you know they, they, they're, they're open to to, to the opportunity to, to recover it, but program is still program is still in, incredibly important to, to get the building online as quickly as it possibly can. I couldn't imagine a client genuinely, unless it was you know you know some amazing experiment, demanding that 100% of a building was going to be recovered and set aside as a forward procurement route, because the program would just wouldn't wouldn't match any of the industry outputs that we currently work with. So um, I think I think I agree, Steve. That there is definitely that that central balance but um, as we do more of it we're going to get better at it as we always will do so I think just to say on that point though there's at the moment there's definitely easy wins that just aren't even being acknowledged or taken mm. yeah so everything tends to be looked at within a single focus and also the whole solution has to fit the one thing so what we're seeing is things like plant rooms on the top of buildings are usually relatively easy to dismantle or deconstruct simply and that steel is relatively easy to recover mm. by the time it's concrete encased and 15 floors down yeah, yeah. maybe not a great idea but it's, it's one step at a time there's a, there's a lot of easy wins at the moment that aren't being acknowledged aren't being taken advantage of e easy wins and for me it's missed opportunities i think that, that's probably the best way that we can you, you are right that, that's exactly it it's just identifying them early enough that you take advantage of them but um but yeah it's, it's we're definitely going in the right direction definitely going in the right direction thank you um if there aren't any other questions, then we'll wrap it up. We've just come up to the end of time. Thanks very much, everyone.
didn't pass out. <laughs> <laughs> That's good.